0: and half an inch of snow on the ground you know like but if anyone ever says look why can't you go to church today when it's you know cold and snowy you know they'd still be playing football you know well you can say not so fast my friend <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> they canceled football and we're at church so uh, there we there we go glad to glad to have everyone with us today uh if you have a, a prayer card, now's a good time for you to hand those in and we'll uh gather them up as well as we'll we'll do it again at the end of end of worship. And uh while uh, that's happening I wanna just uh, uh share a, a piece of, of good news with you and Linda if you would just duck up here with me. Yeah. <clears throat> uh so many of us know linda she's been around us around lawson road for quite a long time just stand right here yep and uh and been around lawson road for quite a long time involved in the the sewing class and other things that we have going on and so uh a couple of weeks ago she let us well it's more than that but you've been under the weather, right? Yeah. So, about a couple of weeks ago, uh, let us know that you'd like to be a member here at Lawson Road, and we're delighted to, to have you as a member of our family at Lawson Road. So, <laughs> thank you. That's good. Now, I know there's a ladies' event after worship. There's consequences if I go too long or uh, mess up, interfere with that schedule in any way. So uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll work to get get through this. No promises, though. No promises. When I preached from the Book of Galatians back in the fall, just before Christmas, um, I ran out of weeks to. Uh, spend any time really discussing the most famous passage in the book of Galatians. Uh, What would you think that 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 is? Fruits of the Spirit, right? Yeah. So uh, we're going to take the next, I don't know, eight or nine weeks uh, to work our way through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. If you can just move it for me and then I'll be good. Thank you. So uh, Galatians... Chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where we find the the fruit of the Spirit uh, in the reading that Charlton just brought us. Um, So as I begin a new series, some of you may guess what I'm going to say next. When we come to a passage like this that is famous as a standalone passage, a standalone piece of writing... It's all too easy to study it as, uh, without its context, okay? So you get this list, it shows up on a bookmark, you put the bookmark in your Bible, and you're like, oh, look, here's the fruit of the Spirit. And it's correct, it is, here's the fruit of the Spirit. But if we were to say, why did the Apostle Paul write that to those particular churches? Then we go, oh, <laughs> which church was it again? Right, and, and so what was the context? What was it that prompted this to be written in the first place? And so that's where we begin a series. I hope if I have a topical series, that's where we begin most of our topical series is um, getting to, to know why the text is there why it was written, why it was shared with the original audience. Because that's going to be an important part of understanding what it means to us. Okay? If we don't do, understand that, sometimes we can just go and make up our own explanations that make no sense in the context in which it was given. And so we're going to spend our time uh, together today reminding ourselves... Of this context. Through the first five and a half chapters, and we're not going to read that, but the first five and a half chapters of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul has addressed a variety of issues that are dividing the church. Not just one church. Remember, this letter is written to churches in a region, so the churches in the state of New York, and they're all sort of facing this same conflict this this disagreement this tension and, and they're sort of related but they're different it could be between how should Jews and Gentiles relate to each other Jews and non-jews how uh, how important is circumcision and and what do uncircumcised people uh, relate to God how do they do that it's about adhering to the Mosaic law and adhering to to, to Jesus' teachings. And so it's really a question of what do we keep from the Jewish teachings, from the God's word that has been given to the Jews through the centuries? What do we keep of that? And what do we, what is new, what is different with the, the as we follow Jesus? And so this is this disagreement. And so you've got different camps, right? You have Gentiles, you have Jews, you have Maybe Gentiles who've been circumcised, Jews who don't think they should be circumcised, you know, and, and you end up with this church that has a lot of disagreement. Disagreement about who can come in the doors, disagreement about who can pass communion, disagreement about who's a real Christian, who's a real follower of Jesus. So it, it's not just, I think the comma should go before this word in the in the text or after this word in the text. It's not about commas or spelling or King James Version versus New King James Version. This is about who belongs in the body of Christ. It's a pretty serious disagreement. Naturally, with something that serious, the church is divided and uh, it's struggling. And so Paul cares very deeply about each of those topics. And if we were to go back to the website and listen to all the sermons from uh, the fall on the series on Galatians, we'd get a feel for those topics, right? What does Paul say about how Jews and Gentiles should relate? What does he say about circumcision? What does he say about the the new old law and the teaching of Jesus and, and how we reconcile those? What does he say about who should be welcomed into the church? All of those things are the topics, And they're important. They're the doctrine, we might say. And they are important to get right. In fact, at the very beginning, he says you've been led away by a false gospel. right? That even the gospel has been undermined by these debates. The good news of Jesus that is at the core of our faith. So the doctrines, the teachings, the topics are vital to the health of the church. When we get to the second half here of chapter 5, there's a shift that takes place. Because Paul is no longer talking so much about these uh, disagreements. At least not who's right and who's wrong. But what he, he goes on to, to talk about is about the attitude of the people involved. And that is something... That he cares about. In the second half of this chapter, we'll see that Paul's primary concern is not right and wrong, but is unity. He longs for these congregations to be united and to be loving. So we, we see this, though, even in the first part of the chapter, we have uh, three, um, three statements, three instructions that he gives concerning love chapter 5 in verse 6 he says the only thing that counts is faith we go yeah that's right get your faith right you got strength in your faith expressing itself through love okay not so fast just emphasizing the faith Uh, do not use freedom some of you say we have freedom in christ and paul's right yes you absolutely do have freedom don't use that freedom to indulge the flesh to take advantage of it, if you will. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And he's able to say, how does the Old Testament law relate to the following Jesus as Christians? Well, he says, that's easy. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, So, Paul is setting the stage here in this first part of the chapter. He's saying he keeps coming back to the importance of love as he talks about uh, the attitude, the demeanor, the, the, the approach, mindset that people in the church should have towards one another. There are some other statements in this chapter that give us a sense of why these instructions were necessary. Okay? Okay. And so it's not just that there were disagreements. Notice what he says in verse 15. So you've got verse 13 up here, says love. Verse 14 says love. Verse 15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Anybody want to go to that church next Sunday? if you buy that i mean things have got pretty rough so if you're going to be always sniping at each other always criticizing each other always you know sort of running someone down behind their backs he says you might even think that you're doing this because you're standing up for what's right and that person and those people are wrong he says but what you will actually do through that behavior is that you will be destroyed by each other. It's destructive, ungodly behavior. And then he comes down a little further, and um, he moves in and he says, here's a list of things that do not belong in the church. In verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, uh, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I think there's some things on there that people would say, oh, that looks like a good time, okay? There there are things on there that some people would say, that looks like a good time, but I don't think there's anything there that people would argue it is good, Okay, there's a difference there, isn't there? You can have a good time, but it doesn't mean that it's good, okay? It doesn't mean that it's virtuous, okay? Throwing rocks through windows might be fun, right? If you're a 12-year-old boy and you go down the street and you're throwing rocks through windows and you're having a ball and it's fun, it's a good time, but it doesn't mean that what you did was good. It was destructive. And so Paul is saying, Look, this is, you guys know this. In fact, even the, even the Romans, the Gentiles, know this. They're not going to put maybe the, the idolatry and the witchcraft, but the, the, the sorcery, but the other things up there, they're not going to say these are good. These are virtuous for our society. They make us a better society when everybody um, is jealous, when everybody has fits of rage, when everybody's drunk. Right? They're not going to say this is a good thing. What's interesting about the, the way that this is, is structured is that, um, in fact, this is from the NIV, and you can see the way that it has the semicolons at the end of the different lines. And so that sort of puts them together as a group. That's an English translation thing. It's not there in the Greek, but I think it's, it's helpful for us. So the, the first three there, he's talking about sexual morals. Okay? And he says, you know, just uninhibited sexual morals, which I guess is no sexual morals, right? He says that's, that's works of the flesh. He then says, you know, if even as Christians, whether you're Jewish or not, as Christians, we're going to see idolatry and witchcraft as a bad thing. So they are both kind of standard critiques of paganism. Any Jew would have those as the standard critiques of paganism. We could also come down to the end, and we see again this standard critique of what it means to to worship false gods, drunkenness, orgies, and all that other stuff that they do, right? In the middle, though, now Paul actually hits home because what he's saying is, they're the stuff that's out there. But hey, here's some stuff. And it reminds me of you. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And, And you can see how they're just separated by a comma. They go together as a group. And what he says is, this... Is what you as a church are dealing with. And so I imagine that some of them were quite surprised to, to have this, their behavior inserted into a list that starts and ends with criticizing the pagans. It's kind of like that old thing, you know, if you, have your, if you point at someone, you've got how many fingers pointing back at you? Right? Three fingers pointing back at you. Like, be careful where you point, because that's what he says here. He's saying, look, we all know that God's against these pagan lifestyles and practices and values that are not values at all. But then he says, but what you're doing, the way you are conducting yourselves amongst each other, the hatred, the disagreement, the jealousy, the anger that you're, you're showing to each other, the selfish ambition of promoting yourself above others, dissenting, forming into little cliques and groups and factions within the church and being envious of one another. He says, that is just as bad as that other stuff. And so you're thinking like, oh, we're, we're Christians. We've been baptized. We follow Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And he says, no, you're like right in there with all these pagans because of the way you're conducting yourselves to, between each other. And he finishes that list and he, he says... I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, you can't say we are the church and then behave like that and think that saying we are the church is going to be good enough for God. We have to act like the church. Act like the children of God. And so Paul has clearly identified the problem. The problem is this conflict that's taking place in the church. You'll say, hang on, I thought the conflict, I sat through that whole sermon series in the fall, Peter, and the problem is very much about Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, that's problem A. Problem B is the way that that disagreement is being managed. It's what that disagreement is doing to the church. It's a significant disagreement. But when that is turning into hatred, like look where he starts that particular list. When that's turning into hatred, that's why he says you're destroying each other in your quest to be right. And there's no place in the kingdom of God for this kind of behavior. Even if you're right. Wouldn't that, do you think that would be a shock? Like Paul has written in the first half of the letter, he said, this is the right way of viewing it. Some of them are going, yeah, Paul's on my side, right? And then he gets down here and he says, but you're doing this and there's no place in the kingdom of God for you. It's like, but we were in the right side. There's no place in the kingdom of God for you. And so that's the problem. That we're dealing with in this passage and so then we move to the solution and the problem is focusing on self right it's focusing on self how we view self in relation to others how others can make myself better or improve my situation and as a result of that, we naturally have divisions. If everybody's focused on self, if we've got 50 people in here and everybody's focused on self, how many divisions do we have? <laughs> 50 divisions! Okay? So, uh, the, the solution is focusing on the Holy Spirit and the values that the Holy Spirit cultivates in our lives okay, rather than on self. Now, among all of the New Testament letters, only Romans and 1 Corinthians, which are considerably longer, talk about uh, the Spirit or refer to the Spirit more often than the letter of Galatians. Okay. So I showed you before you know, the, the verses about love to say, look, we're not just coming to this list of virtues and it's popping up out of the blue. Right? But same with the Spirit. Paul is trying to say, this divided church, you've got to have the Spirit. It has to be in you. You're one in the Spirit. You're bonded by the Spirit. You're guided by the Spirit. Right? It's God who needs to be working among you and needs to be your focus. And he says this over and again. And it shouldn't shock us, really, that a letter encouraging unity focuses on the Holy Spirit. Because now as we come to the antidote for the divisive attitudes and actions, the answer is the Spirit. I think one of the things we can do, we, we say, oh yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. You know, and we can run through that list. And, and then we focus on those things, don't we? But what are those things the fruit of? The Spirit, right? They're the fruit of the Spirit. And so when... when that becomes the, the focus. It certainly is for Paul. He's saying the fruit demonstrates the relationship and the influence of the Spirit in our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't a magical antidote. The president, presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives doesn't usually suddenly bestow us with a completely new personality. Right? Those of us who have been baptized, you know, we never struggled with anger ever again, did we? We were immediately patient, right? Because they're fruit of the Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't quite work like that, does it? Um, rather, for followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit works in us and with us to transform our lives over time. And so this list of familiar virtues in verses 22 and 23 doesn't become part of our lives because we try harder okay it's not about trying harder how does a tree grow does a tree grow by trying harder i don't think so a tree grows because someone else comes along and puts the right amount of water, sunlight, fertilizer, nutrients in the soil. Prunes it. Okay? We do those four things to a tree, do them correctly. The tree will grow. The tree will prosper. But the tree can sit there without, if it doesn't have any of those things, nothing it can do to say to itself, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It can't. Right? Right? It's not the little engine that could. It's the tree that can't. But once those things are given to it, then it can return the gift through the fruit that it bears. And so when we look at our lives in this way, it's not that we try harder. Because I think sometimes we can look at a list of virtues, and there's quite a few of them in Scripture, and we can be overwhelmed with guilt, with insecurity, um, with inadequacy, right? to say, well, I can't live up to that. I'm not Jesus. I can never be Jesus. But the list isn't there as a, a minimum requirement for us to really be Christians. Or a minimum requirement for us, you have to, to have enough of each of these to scrape into the kingdom of heaven. Rather, they're things that the, they're virtues that the Holy Spirit says, this is what we're going to work on. This is where we're headed. And uh, and so together, we work with the Holy Spirit. And so as we, we focus on following Jesus, as we focus on staying in tune with, with God and his spirit, we will find our lives transformed. By setting them out like this in a list, Paul um, sets expectations for what a godly life will look like. But it's a list that we can work towards. You see, we know that it's a list that we work towards because he never actually tells us how to measure it, does he? If, If this was some sort of list that we need to obtain in order to please God or to to scrape into the kingdom of heaven, then how much goodness do we need? In fact, what was your kindness score this week? Um, How about gentleness? Now, is this a scale of 1 to 10, 1 to 100? Do we do it every week or is it over the course of my life? Um, can I start at my baptism? What actually can I start? Can I start? Can I start this morning? Okay, I'm getting myself a score. And so Paul doesn't do that, he doesn't say, Oh, here's the degree. So there will always be people that will say, You are not loving enough, you are not joyful enough, you are not peaceful enough, you are not being a good Christian. And, and, and you're like, Where does it say how much is enough? And and even if it said something, how do you measure it? Because just because I'm not joyful in one situation doesn't mean that my life as a whole isn't characterized by the joy that God gives, right? I had to pay for some car repairs this week. I was not joyful, (laughs) right? (laughs) I'm not at all worried that God kicked me out of the kingdom for a moment until I got my joy back. And so we view these more as goals that we're moving towards. Things that Christ, that the Spirit is bringing into our lives that make us different from who we would be without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. I think if we work on it ourselves, if we take responsibility and say, this is my This is my cross to bear, my list to work on to to improve me. Then we're going to put a lot of energy, let's say, into becoming more patient. And, And we're only, I think, going to become more frustrated and angry in the process. And so God says, get to know me better. See the world as I see the world Let my values become your values. Let my priorities become your priorities. And over time, as you focus on me, you'll become more patient. And you'll look back on your life and you'll say, I think I handled that situation better today than I would have a couple of years ago. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So let's look briefly at the fruit that are up there. While the works of the flesh create conflict because they're self-focused. As we look down through this list, I want to suggest that these are communal. They're interactive. They're, they're outside of ourselves. Okay. Now, there are some there that are obvious, when we want to talk about gentleness, you know, are we gentle towards others? Faithfulness, do we keep our word to others and, and to God? Um, but perhaps there are some that are a little, that are not immediately other-focused. And so to me, joy, peace, and self-control um, seem to be interior, right, rather than the exterior. But let me um, just remind us that this is a letter written to churches, not to individuals, Paul isn't writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you need to have these in your life. He's writing to a church. The problem is in the church. Yes, it's in individuals and how they interact with each other, but it's in the church. And so the antidote has to be change the church and the way that they handle this situation because when they're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, they're going to handle this uh, circumstance very differently okay and so when we see joy peace and self-control it's not individuals saying well you know i think if i walk out of this church and i go and i sit up on this hill all by myself and i admire the view and i look out on the lake and i see snowflakes floating down the lake i'm going to to be filled with joy peace and self-control I'll be able to praise God for creation. I'll I'll have tranquility. I'll be peaceful. And I won't be angry at anyone because I've left the church and I'm sitting on the hill by myself looking at the view. I am demonstrating the fruit of the spirits as I sit on this hill. And I think the message is actually something different than that. You see that's good. We need those times to sit by ourselves and to just enjoy God on our own. But it shouldn't be the case that when we come back to the spirit-filled church that we park our joy, peace and self-control outside the door. Okay. That that the the joy that we have both of being with other spirit-filled believers. Being with, that's where the the joy comes from. The peace that comes, it's not just uh, sort of a tranquility deep in my soul, it's a peace. Uh, We're going to, you know, we talked in the Sermon on the Mount about being a peacemaker, right? The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Do I bring peace and joy with me into these settings of conflict? Or do I feed the conflict? Can I control myself? How do I know if I can control myself? Like some of it, yes, sure, control my thoughts when I'm on my own, control my actions when I'm on my own. You know, there's a a saying is who you are, who you really are is not who you are when others are watching. It's who you are when no one's watching, right? And so in that sense, self-control is, yeah, who am I when no one's watching? But there's also, I think, in this, where we contrast it with that other list, with anger, can I be a calming presence or do I get caught up in what's going on? Do I lose my self-control in these moments? and, And I just, again, I'm adding to the dissension, adding to the disagreement. Because I'm not able to take responsibility for myself. How am I interacting with people around me? And so I think this list is very outward-focused, and that is somewhat unique as a list of virtues. A lot of lists of virtues, I think Aristotle had one. It begins with courage, right? very much an interior. Do I have the stuff to go and do whatever needs to be, you know, requires courage? Um, here, though, it's about how do we love one another? How do we interact with different people? Now, this brings us to our first virtue on the list. And that is oh, love. We'll get to that. <laughs> so you can see here, just uh, th- this chart is just there as a contrast between those that are self-focused on the left and those that are other-focused on the right. Okay, even you go, oh, what about, you know, this first one's about sexuality, that involves other people, right? It's like, yeah, it does, but if it's for a selfish fulfillment of my own desires and not out of concern for the other person, then it's not a loving encounter or a loving relationship. And so we, we look down and we see the contrast between those two. Love, on the other hand, I am not going to... Uh, to go into this a whole lot. Of course, it would be a whole sermon by itself. I just want to point this out. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced that this is correct, but I think it's a helpful way of at least thinking about it. And that is that for some, some people see this list as beginning with love, right? And they would place a, a colon after love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then what does love look like? It looks like joy, peace, patience. And so everything else flows out of the fruit of the Spirit that is love. I put up before how Paul has been emphasizing the importance of love for this church. Like this is what differentiates you. There's loving your neighbor. He's given those three instructions earlier in the chapter focusing on love as opposed to the, the fighting and, and stabbing each other. Right? So it's a possibility okay? um, that this whole list is simply a summary or a description of, of love. Um, I think it's significant that the word used here is fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular word. Okay? And so what it tells us there is that the Fruit of the Spirit is one thing. This list is not like a buffet. Right? It's not like your fruit buffet. And you go through and you say, oh yeah, I like love. Yeah, oh, uh, patience, I definitely need some of that. Yeah, gentleness? No, that's not me, right? <laughs> Who do they think I am? Who do they think I am, right? Gentleness. It's not a take it and leave it. This is the fruit. If we have the spirit, this is who we are. Now, we're going to be naturally stronger in some areas than others. I'm not saying, hey, I'm the most spiritual person here because I'm the most loving, the most you know, patient, the most, most kind. I'm not. Right? Um, we have different degrees, but we still have all of them. We don't get a pass on any. Oh, yeah, God's given up on, you know, <laughs> trying to give him the fruit of kindness. We just got to live with it. That's the way he is. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, she's not joyful. I don't think she'll ever be joyful. Holy Spirit tried, didn't take. Well, we're just focusing on the other fruit. Right? No, it's all there. God wants us to experience all of this fruit. And so it's a singular, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Okay? It's one fruit. Um, We saw earlier how Paul has emphasized the importance of love in the lead-up to the passage. It's no surprise that he begins with love. And so I just want to give you a little summary here. Jesus' teachings, right? Right? Love God. He didn't just say love God. What did he say about that command? It's the greatest. It's the first. It's the most important. Love God. Not obey God. Not, not be scared of God. Not, you know, respect God. It's love God. Um, and the second is a lot like that, right? It is love. Yeah. Um. He he tells his disciples, love one another. And he tells in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. Jesus' love was an important teaching topic for Jesus. In fact, in John 13, 35, as he comes to the end of his ministry, end of his life, he says to his disciples, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How did the church, the Galatian church, make out with that? This is why I think Paul says, you're not in the kingdom of God if you're behaving like this. Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, because you're backbiting and arguing and making sure that you're the correct ones and the other ones know that they're wrong, and, you know, throwing punches at each other. He says, no, that will destroy yourself. This is how everyone will know that you're my disciples, because you love one another. And so we see love as a key, as a core element of Jesus' teaching. Likewise for Paul, Romans 12, I think we read this last week in our our prayer service, but Romans 12, uh, verses 9 through 21, is very similar uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a well-known passage. So we have these two extensive passages where... Paul is just describing love and what it looks like when it's lived out in in our lives, um, and so John will say we love, right? Not because we're commanded to love. Why do we love? Because God first loved us, right? So you know we we this isn't this isn't a um, a guilt trip for us that you're not loving enough. Rather, it's saying, as you experience God's love, you're going to love others. And it's core at who we are as children of God. Love is the foundation of our relationship with God, with others in the church, and with the world around us. You see, when he says, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another... He's not saying, oh, love one another, but hate everyone else. Love love one another, but point fingers at how bad everyone else is. Tell them they're getting what they deserve. Love one another. Also love your enemy. Also love your neighbor. Do all of that because you love God. And you love God because he loves us. Lord's Supper.